I'll just recap a little bit what we discussed okay. the last two weeks and okay. what and then we'll move on. So basically the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe and the Tanya right now has said discussed um the different modes on how one develops love for God. And he defined it in two general categories. And the reason why he's at, trying to understand this question is to better understand how can the Torah command one to love God. You can't really tell command emotions. Emotions, unless uh, you're, you know, you're somehow controlled by a supercomputer or AI that you could be dictated in how to feel. Human beings, you can't really dictate to them how to feel and they'll respond. So what does it mean when the Torah gives a commandment to love? So the Altarebi dictated, uh, explained that there's two types of love. There's one which is a very natural love where someone is naturally in tune with his essence, his core. And at our core, we are a part of God. And therefore, they are um, imbued with a sense of love for God. However, that love is not one, as you stressed in the Tanya, which is really can be expected. Um, and this love is not a love which one can really um, develop on their own. This is a love which either one has it or one doesn't have it. Um, meaning, the as the said in Tanya, it's usually, and I will stress it again in a bit as we'll learn in a second, this is usually someone which is in a very high refined level. And all they need to do to maintain their love for God is to maintain it by continuing behaving in a way which continues to feed this love of God by their behavior, by studying Torah, doing mitzvahs, living a godly life. Um, but this is not a really a love which you can expect a person to achieve because it's not attained. It's kind of inherently there by such individuals. So the second is a love which is developed. And how does one develop a love? Is through meditation, through learning, through studying. And in that, there's two primary modes which the Tanya taught us. And what's interesting, as we'll see as we get to the end of this this uh, introductory piece of the section, um, this is really not the focus of this section of the Tanya. This is really more the section, it's a lot more elaborated in the first uh, part of the Tanya. The meditations in which one can or what one can study in order to develop love and relation emotions for God. And he kind of, the, in very short, the author told us two, gave us two different modes. One is um, discuss learning how and being and meditating on the fact that God is our life force. And just as we love ourselves and we love our life. So if you love your life, then you'll come to love God as well, because that God is at the core of what our life is. And the second one, which is a little bit more personal, was one of the fact that when one meditates on who, what God is and how great God is, and then realizing that this God is the one who intimately is involved in our life. And as in Jewish history, how God came and took us out of Egypt and gave us the Torah. And this is a microcosm, that is a macrocosm on the, on how in our personal lives as well, God is there in for when we have our personal exoduses from Egypt and so on and so forth, that God is there to lift us up and cares for our personal well-being. That's something which love is infectious. So it's just like when we smile, we usually that evokes a smile from the person that we give it off to. 
And when we give love, usually it reciprocates. So too, when we realize how much love God is giving us, that should reciprocate the same emotions within ourselves on how to love God. Now, between the two loves, as we discussed, the second category of loves is one which can be developed. So it's one which can be developed. And as a result, being that it's one which can be developed, there can be a certain sense of command towards this formal love. And that's what he's going to follow up over here on when it comes to the second for, latter form of love, which is one which one develops through studying and so on and so forth, over there the Torah can use terminology of creating or commanding one to love God. And as I'll stress, so let's first, the first point, the fact that this is a love which one can develop, um, we'll start over here. Um, I believe this is where we left off. So it is this second type of love, achieved through contemplation, that Moses, our teacher, may he rest in peace, wanted to instill in the heart of every Jew when he stated the passage that begins, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? In Deuteronomy. And is followed in the verse, Behold, to the Lord your God are the heavens, and the heavens of the heavens, the earth, and everything that is in it. Yet the Lord desired your forefathers, therefore remove obstruction of your heart and do not stiffen your neck anymore stiffen your neck any anymore and we'll continue the verse in just a second but before the in general the book of deuteronomy um so in general the book of deuteronomy is in very much is unique from the other four books of the torah that the four books of the torah is generally transcribing the history or the conversations that god had with the jewish people Deuteronomy is a transcription primarily of Moses's word, parting words to the Jewish people. It starts off with Moses speaking to the Jewish people, and most of the books of Deuteronomy continue to be Moses talking and telling what his what he would like to the Jewish people. And one of the things in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in chapter 10, and this message is emulated throughout multiple, chap um, multiple chapters, but primarily in chapter 10, verses 12 and on, Moses is giving some instruction on how they should have the faith and connection they should maintain with God. And subtly, the ideas used over here are reflective of the meditation that the Alter Rebbe mentioned before. He starts off stressing the fact, yes, God is the God of the heavens, that God is, yes, God is at his core is something way beyond what we comprehend. Everything is in God's realm and so on and so forth, right? God is of the heavens. Yet, where did God desire to connect with? Who did he desire? He desired us mankind and the Jewish people. And therefore, and we see that from how he took us out of Egypt, as I'll stress in a second. And therefore, remove whatever is holding yourself back through these meditations, you can remove whatever is holding your heart back from feeling the, the affection towards God. Okay. And Oviri continues and stressing again, because God is there for us. As he stressed, with 70 people, your ancestors descended to Egypt. And now the Lord your God has re rendered you as the stars of the heavens in abundance. And so you shall love the Lord your God. And be reflective when we think about these points that should you that should be that should lead to the feeling of love for god 
And because he's discussing a love over here, again, he's not, Moses is not telling the Jewish people, just feel the way you should be. Moses is telling them, think about certain things and that should lead to love. When Because he's addressing this love, which you shall create, which takes work and needs to be created, therefore he's able to conclude at the end of this discussion, therefore Mo Moses concludes his discourse about this type of love with the words, for if you observe this, this entire commandment that I command you to perform to love the to love the Lord your God, referring to the type of love generated in the heart. So it's on the second form of love, which is developed over time and developed through one's study and contemplation, on which the Torah can tell us to love God. Now, why is it that we can be told to love? At the end of the day, it's still an emotion. Because the commandment is not the feeling, but on the process to get to the feeling. That what? Through the understanding and knowledge of matters that arouse the love. So the commandment is not to love. The commandment is to think about and contemplate on the matters, on these ideas, which will develop love and feelings to God. So that's the commandment. So when the Torah tells you love God, what it's saying is contemplate and think about things which naturally should arouse love. So developing and, 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 and thinking about how God loves us, that should usually reciprocate in us building emotions for God as well. And just like it was, um, just like in chapter 10, this is also answering our initial question, how can the Torah tell us to uh, give us a mitzvah, a commandment to love God? This will be the same explanation. This is the intent of Moses' previous directive. These matters that I command you today shall be upon your heart, that through this you will come to love God, as Safri states regarding the verse. With regard to this second type of love, generated through focused contemplation, it is appropriate to employ the language of commanding and instruction, which entails applying one's heart and mind to matters that arouse love. All right, so now, stressing, now that we have a better understanding of what love can be developed and how one can build, theoretically, again, the particulars is not discussed in great length at here at all, but the general idea that one can develop, and that's what the commandment is, to contemplate on matters which will lead us to a love. There's, and just to, before I continue, there's two um, the language that's used over here a lot of times when he talks about the contemplation is understanding and knowledge. And the reason why he uses both of those references is because in Hasidus, a lot of times, I mean, actually the word Chabad comes from the, is an acronym from the three words Chachma Bin Adat, which means wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Practically, if it, what it means is that in there's different modes within our intellect. One is the the way we translate wisdom in this terminology would be the flash of ideas that one has, the creative part of the mind which comes up with new ideas. Then the understanding is the analytical part of our brain which breaks down things, and knowledge is when we take an idea from being an idea to being something which we respond to. You know, when our mind pushes us to take action. 
So we could contemplate, one can study the greatness of God and how much God loves us, but we also have to make sure we're learning it in a way which it doesn't just stay in our understanding, but also develops into knowledge and something that permeates with us that call it brings a call to action, actually calls out our emotions and feelings. So when we use the term understanding and knowledge, we're usually talking, it's not the same word. It's usually the understanding is analytical part, which is crucial. And the knowledge is when we make, when the idea sort of say hits home and now becomes relatable or demands a call of action of sort. Now, at, over here, the Tanya goes back to stress that whenever we're told, when there is that commandment to love God, it can only be with the uh, second form of love, the love which is developed, that one develops. It's not from a love which the earlier love, the first love, which is the greater love, that's not something that can be dictated or given a commandment to. Because that's something which either someone has or someone doesn't have. Okay? So there's... I would say in general, within a relationship as well, you know, we like asking all the time when we, with within a relationship, we ask the other person, do you love me, right? But over here, perhaps the Tanya is challenging us more is not just, is not always should we be asking if you love me? Because it's okay at times a person, let's just say, not necessarily in the moment is feeling emotionally in tune. The question is more, are you committed? Are you doing do you care about this relationship? Are you doing things for this relationship? And I think that matters more sometimes than what we're feeling in the moment, as we'll develop over here. So with regarding to commanding, the Torah can't command us to love because love is an emotion. And sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't. The Torah could command us, are we investing in the relationship? Are we putting in our effort? Are we contemplating? Are we trying to put ourselves in a space in which we can grow in our relationship with God. But the initial mitzvah that we should have this natural uh, feeling all the time and be in tune with our inner selves, that's not something that can be a commandment of. Because that's either something you are or you aren't. So regarding the first love, however, with regard to the first type of love, which is like a flame that rises on its own, terms of commanding and instructing are not appropriate whatsoever. So we can't use not the term of command you should, or we can't really give you guidance because A, this is not a love which one develops. And as a result too, it's not something which we could command. Moreover, it is the reward granted to tzaddikim. The people that have such a love, it's almost a something which is a gift. It's not something which is attained per se. And to taste the sample of the world to come in this world. And where there you have this concept in Talmud and in different places and where people have a taste of the world to come in this world. Now, it's important to know the world to come or the uh, olam haba, if anyone's familiar with the term, is not, in Judaism, is not a specific location. It's more of a frame of mind. Meaning, the soul within the body is very limited to the corporal material world around and therefore doesn't see or is not in tune with godliness. The moment the soul leaves the body, 
Now the soul is now in a different conscious space. Now it's in the space, the conscious space of Olam Haba, the world to come. And we use the term the world to come because in our current material presence or consciousness, we're not in tune with that reality. So there is a possibility for a person, even in this world, if they are given, sort of say, new eyes, kind of like when uh, the donkey that was able to see the angel, Bilaam's donkey was able to see the angel, right? So if we're given a different pair of glasses, so then we can have a whole different perspective how we see the world. So certain people, righteous people in different generations are given the gift that even in this world, they have the sort of same perspective of the world as a soul or the dimension of one in the world to come. And regarding this, the verse states, as a service that is a gift, I give your priesthood, as we will be explained in the relevant place. In very short, such just like the priesthood in Judaism is not something which one attains through their work. You're either born a, a Kohen or you're born as an Israelite. It's not something you could really, there isn't a Kohen school you could go to to become a Kohen. You're either born with it or you're not with it, right? So in the same light, this form of service is gifted to certain individuals. It's not something that is attained necessarily through service, but it's something which is gifted to individuals. So it's something which you either have or you don't have. And therefore, for most people, which your average person is probably not in this category, will not have the formal love as described in uh, of the of the for, of former formal love. And therefore, for most people, when the Torah is talking about developing love, it's primarily and is always throughout the through one that's developed. Um. What's interesting is, is as we'll learn in a second, even someone who has the first form of love, which is total, a very high righteous tzaddik and so on and so forth, even them, it's important to develop love, to have the development, to have a developed love. And this will be highlighted subtly as well in the upcoming section, in the next bit over here. But the so reality is based in short summary very very short and that's all we need to take away with is that in our pursuit of love to god we need to develop that love the commandment is to develop that love all right and with everything that's developed there are stages where we start off over here and as we develop as we mature that love continues to grow and grow and grow and in general our our, our perspective on life continues to grow, the more we invest on in understanding ourselves and the world around us, the more we open our horizon to new, newer and bigger and greater understandings and so on and so forth. So over here, the Altarebi is now going to turn back to his initial question that he started the section off. So now we have all the information we need to retackle, revisit this idea. And the question that we started off with this entire section was the concept that we should educate a child according to his current way. So even when he becomes older, it shouldn't fall away from him. And the Tanya asked the question, why is it so crucial to have 
the childish perspective of growth, even when one is mature to a much greater understanding. Right? Usually, just like in a, in most relationships, usually the love or connection one has after many years together is a lot more matured and real of a love than when they initially met where it was all roses and butterflies and we didn't, you know, we never dealt with our imperfections or anything like that. So why is it so important to, why is the love or the relationship that was developed that as a child so crucial even as our maturity and as we grow and so on and so forth? That was the question that we started off with. So over here, he's going to address that. And he's basically going to address I'll start off with, uh, as everything, we as Jews, we always like asking questions, right? Two, two Jews, three opinions. So in every idea, there's going to be a little bit of a question as he introduces another idea. But he's going to discuss over here the, a, I'm kind of working a little backwards here, but I'll, we'll come, I'll, we'll discuss a little bit more. The concept of growth. And that in a very simple words, and we repeat it in the text here as well. There's a, you mentioned the world to come, so it'll be a good trend. In Ethics of Our Fathers, it says two statements, which are almost, you know, opposite one another. It says, A, the blissfulness of the world to come is one minute of bliss in the world to come is greater than all the bliss present in this world. That's one statement. Another statement that says one moment of doing actions of good deeds, a mitzvah, or studying Torah in this world is greater than all the world to come has to offer. There's unbelievable perspective that one has in the world to come, but yet there's something unique about this world. And one doesn't and one can't replicate the other. What is the big difference between this world? and any other spiritual realm is a terminology called sitting, standing, or walking. All right? People on this world are referred to as travelers. We're walkers. However, in the spiritual realm, they're referred to as standees. Or people sitting on a train, so to say. What does that mean? In this world, one is able to move from one place to another. We're able to grow. We're able to change. We're able to find, you know, become a different person. Whereas in the world to come, one is one is the state that one is. That's the the trajectory they're on. They can't change that trajectory once they're in the world to come. That's why we do mitzvah. Even when one passes on, there's a concept of doing mitzvos or doing things in memory of a loved one, because we they can't create new ammo for themselves in the world to come. Whatever trajectory they're on after their lifetime in this world, they're on that trajectory for, you know, until the coming of the Mashiach. But in the meantime, we can add, we can, the only way they can change the reality is by actions that we do here. We can add to their experience. So in this world, we can change, make differences. We can move from one place to another. We can change who we are. We can change our trajectory. We can be on one path, one career path one day and be on another career path another day. That's only in this world. In the world to come, 
However we lived our life, that's what we take with us into the next world. Now, why is that? So let, let, let's see how this develops and how it falls into place. So over here, he starts off as follows. Indeed, there are those who are initiated know the underlying principle of the verse as the righteous falls seven times and rises. So he introduces this as the initiated know because he wants, he's, the point he's making here are people that are a little more refined and subtle to understand the deeper messaging behind verses and not just taking things as face value. So there's a book in Mishlei and Proverbs, which says, as the righteous fall seven times and rises. Now, according to the whole Tanya premise, that when we say the term righteous, we're not just talking as someone who mostly does the right thing. We're talking about people, as you mentioned before, that have the first form of love, people that are on another level of service in God and are in tune totally with God. We're assuming people like that are not falling, or the terminology would use fall as sinning, like your average person. So what does it mean that a righteous person who's in tune with God and constantly in God's presence is sinning seven times? It seems odd that he should need to sin seven times. So the messaging of the verse has to be referring to a different type of fall. So what is the falling that he's referring to over here? So he's, what he says is, what it leads into this concept now in general the uh the subtle messaging of this verse as described elsewhere not the way that tanya discusses it but also unique way is that if a person doesn't have face any challenges then possibly they're not doing the right thing if you want to know a good message if you want to know if what you're doing is of value or is of something that is conducive, is if you have some pushback. If there's no pushback to what you're doing, maybe that's not the right thing to what you're doing. A message in life. You know, there's a, there was a, there, I forgot which one of the Hasidic Rebbe said that you, before you should have a certain set, sense of trepidation before you take on any new venture. Or you should fear, you know, that maybe you'll do the wrong thing. Someone who's feels who's not worried that he might be doing the wrong thing, then is probably already doing the wrong thing. Right? There's a certain sense of caution we always have to have. If we don't have that sense of caution, then perhaps we're doing something which is unhealthy. Right? People which are careless tend to do careless things. People which are careful or mindful tend to be a little bit more you know do things in a little more uh you know tend to engage a little more healthier way so over here too the righteous person falling seven times and rises meaning is that a righteous person in his path is going to come across obstacles and overcome them that's the way many people explain and understand this verse but the way that tanya wants to explain this is in a very deeper on another level and it's as follows is especially so since a human being is referred to as one who walks and who one who stands is one uh, as one who walks and not one who stands still. Now, what is this so special about people being called walking as opposed to stand still? As we mentioned before, it means that we're in a constant state of growth. Now, in the state of growth, was one walks for he must advance from level to level and never remain on the same level. In life, 
we constantly need to be moving. If we're not moving, we're usually we're usually what's it called? Regressing, right? It's part of the fun in life. It's it's just like there's this just like uh, our house. No matter how many times you sweep the floor, you always need to sweep the floor again. No matter how many dishes you clean, you constantly need to clean dishes again, right? So in life, and with like just like with exercise and dieting, it's not good to just. I mean, it's good anytime you exercise and diet, but if you want it to be, you know, to be long-term, it needs to be consistent. It needs to be day in and day out. So too in our growth, everything, the more we need to constantly be investing in ourselves, because as soon as we stop investing in ourselves, we start regressing. So the person is always looking to grow and grow. And uh, in, in, there's a certain terminology in Chassidus too. The fact that we're here today means that there's something here for us to do. We reach 120 is when God says you've done what all you needed to done. So the fact that we're here today means that there's a mitzvah, there's a prayer, there's something, um, an interaction that we're supposed to have today or supposed to still achieve today. So a person is always supposed to go. In our growth, or the terminology walking is not just random, but when we walk, or especially let's say when we run, a very ironic thing. When is one most vulnerable? When they're in motion. When we're standing and someone pushes me, it's a lot harder to fall. But if my one foot is off the ground, I'm middle taking a step, or especially if I'm middle of running and someone gives me a shove, my balance, I'm a lot easier able to fall off balance, right? So in the process of walking, we also become vulnerable. In the process of growth, we also, we, we go through shaky moments. From getting from one stage or another, things become shaky. And part of that is because we can't continue to hold on to our past in order to project forward, right? If someone's listening to a speech and the speaker is bringing different ideas, if you're thinking about the first idea the whole time, you're not really listening to the second idea or the third idea. This is in a very subtle way. And in general, we're learning math, science, anything. As we grow, as we deepen our understanding, we have to allow ourselves to be listening. You know, one of the biggest problems I have, especially with political debates, is you have two people speaking, but there's nobody listening. No one's actually trying to hear what the other person has to say. They're always trying to counter what the other person is saying, even before they said it. Right. So for growth to happen, you have to really be able to let go of what you're at the moment and honestly be ready to listen. Right. Be ready to. And a lot of people have a hard time letting go. If you let go, you right now you're secure where you are. It's very hard to let go. And that times a lot of times hold back growth. You see it in a in a bigger scale. You have companies which are very hesitant to adapt to new waves or changes in society. And what happens as a result, those companies become obsolete. What's the hesitation? Because change means letting go of what you have. And that's a very scary thing. And in our personal growth as well, there are many times we're held back from making changes in our life because that means letting go of habits that we have currently. So in each growth estate, whenever we make growth, that means we're letting go of something. And in 
growth, there's various forms of growth. There's growth with growth, which is measured, where you're making incremental steps. And sometimes it's growth, which you're changing from A to Z or doing a full 360. So depending on how big the change is, depends how big of a step, how much or how much of a jump we make and how much we're letting go to reach from one place to the next place, right? So over here, he stresses this idea between levels before he can reach the next level. He is in a state of falling from the previous level, right? You're let go. You're, you're dropping. You have, especially if it's a drastic change, there's a very big sense of vulnerability or insecurity between one point and the next point. And that's the, ref the referral, the concept of falling, the instability between one stage and the next. That's what you're referring to in growth of the righteous person falling seven times means in his multiple times, he's going to have to do drastic letting go in his growth and in his development. There's a story in the Talmud, which kind of speaks to the extreme when someone is making a more drastic change that refer with the story of Rabbi Zera, which is spoken about. Rabbi Zera was a great Talmud a great scholar in the times of the Talmud. If anyone's very familiar with Jewish literature, maybe familiar that there's a Babylonian Talmud and a Jerusalemite Talmud. The two Talmuds, they were based off the rabbis, which were codifying the oral traditions and the, or, the way the Torah was passed down throughout generations. And there was way it was being taught in one form in Babylonia and another form in, in Jerusalem. The one we follow more is the Babylonian Talmud. For the reason that, it is a lot more detailed. It goes into a lot more discussion. Whereas in Jerusalem, my Talmud is very precise. So it's a lot easier for us to analyze laws. I mean, when we see the discussion, right? It's kind of like a, you know, the Supreme Court can either just say what their final ruling is, or they give out their essays where you see the different opinions of the different justices and then you can analyze what they were thinking when they made that statement so in babylonia because people weren't the the scholars weren't as bright sort of say and clear in their way of thinking they had a lot more discussion to meticulate or analyze the thing but jerusalemite scholars were known to be of a very bright thing and they needed very little discussion within a few words they already understood each other and therefore the talmud is written a lot more concise so it's written of Rabzera when he wanted to go from, he moved from Babylonia to Jerusalem, he fasted for countless days in order to let go of the, his train of thought, the way he processed, he was so used to learning for all these years to be able to comprehend the way the Jerusalemite rabbis learned, right? So this is a very extreme case, but the concept is very, in 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 in. There are various different modes in which it's more understood, but when someone is truly wanting to understand a new perspective, you have to really be ready to let go of your current perspective, right? So in growth as well, when one really wants to take the next level, he has to really be ready to let go of his current state. So and in this point of the void, sort of say of the fall, where one is in between, where they're letting go and embracing the new, over here, it's written in Psalms. It yes says it is written: when he stumbles, he will not fall down. Even though he's stumbling, he may be in a space where 
only one foot is on the ground, he's not going to fall. What does it mean he's not going to fall? His connection and his relation, his connection with God, his love for God, and so on and so forth, is not going to be lost, even though he's growing into the next level. It's only considered a fall relative to his previous level and not in comparison to everyone else, God forbid. The fall at this point is not one where he is totally disconnected. He loses what he has. It's just that compared to where he was, he's now letting go. And therefore, there's sort of a fall. But nevertheless, since he nevertheless surpassed all the people in their service of God, because a remnant of his previous level remains in his service. So over here, the Alter Rebbe is referencing to a person which has, let's say, the first, even the person which is of the first level of, of, of love for God. Even someone who is innately born with a deep connection with God, they also grow from level to level and can grow in ways, leaps and bounds, especially because they're still within this world. Even when they make major jumps in their service, they're still connected. And what is that connection? How do they still have that connection? However, the core of this service stems from the love that he was educated and trained from his, to attain from his youth prior to attaining the level of tzaddik. And that is the meaning of the verse. Even when he grows old, he will not turn from it. So we hear he's, uh, it's like funny because this idea is, is is applicable in so many different ways. But over here, the Alter Rebbe brings it to the extreme. Even someone who has a natural instinct-born relationship with God, the most mature possible relationship with God, even them are going to have moments in which they're going to need to fall back onto a more amateur love. And what is that love? For the tzaddik, it's the love of which one develops on their own through meditation and so on and so forth. So the importance of developing a love for God is crucial. On a more relatable scale, which Al-Trebi mentioned, for, more, for most of us, which we're either way developing a love for God, hopefully we'll also be developing and growing that understanding and maturity of the love, that, a relationship that we have with God. And there's going to be moments which we're going to be vulnerable especially if it's a self-made love, there are going to be moments which we won't be necessarily be feeling the love. So what do we have in replace? So even the moments of love, sort of say, even the moments of a lack of emotion, sort of say, even the moments of absence or the moments of gasping or the moments of falling, it could be, we can also make it just a stumble and not a fall. And how is that? by having a very strong foundation in our relationship with God. And so the primary element that arouses love and fear, which are the roots of divine service and services, their foundation is the pure and staunch faith in the unity and oneness of God. May he be blessed and exalted. By having a very strong sense of faith, a very strong foundation in our, that preeminent, that pre, that predicates the love and fear that we develop for God, even in moments of lapse, even in moments in which we're moving, we're going through a struggle, and perhaps we're being challenged to grow a little bit more, if we have a strong foundation, that foundation can keep us 
from fully stumbling and help us get on path and reach the next higher level and move us on in our path. So this is the introduction to this section. So this section that we're going to be learning, the Shari Yichud Vemuna, its focus is going to be on the faith element of God. What is the perspective of Judaism and of faith and the unity of God? And what he's yeah. the case that he's making in this introduction is why is it so important to have a strong understanding and faith with God is because in our relationship of love and fear, which we are commanded to do, and it's one, and what's the love and fear that we have? It's one that we develop. There are moments, either a moments of growth or moments of challenge, in which we are moved, which which in which we're being challenged to develop a stronger connection with God where we need to have a strong foundation which will keep us from fully falling in the moment and make it just a stumble, and that is our faith and belief in God. And this is also why in Judaism, such education at a young age is so important. Because even though, yes, and this is why I tell people all the time, and this is why, it, uh, it, for me, it, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of, I, I wouldn't know if the word is secular, um, secular Jews or whatever the terminology is, but a lot of people say they learned in Hebrew school and, you know, they haven't written and they're good for life. And it's, for me, I find it funny because probably the perspective you have of Judaism in Hebrew school is a very amateur perspective. As adults, hopefully you want to have a more mature relationship with religion and God and so on and so forth. But at the same time, the education of youth is very important because the if we have a strong foundation at youth, that inspiration hopefully that we were given as a child or at a young age can be the foundation to help us in moments where as even as adults there are moments where that foundation that we have can be the motivator to keep us going forward and even if we're and the child we could be even here child at heart even if we're much older but as we're beginning the process or if one is the working on developing re-establishing revisiting the foundation the core of what god is and what belief in God means, that can strengthen us and give us the support we need That so that when we continue our regular routine, we have that foundation to fall back onto when we need it. Um, I think in, you know, relationships, you know, in relationships as well, we have, it's important to remember why, do, like, as I mentioned before, even though hopefully our relationships over time develops and we have a lot more mature relationship in marriage, it's important to also remember those moments of, you know, from the early days of our marriage where everything was beautiful or our relationships where everything was blissful and so on and so forth. Because there are times and moments in every life, it's not a, it's a positive, it's a sign of growth when there's some pushback, when there's a challenge or so on and so forth. So having those moments to look back to is important because that it, it, that's sometimes the glue that helps us move forward and our relationship with god is oh we need to have a glue which is the foundation of our relationship and then there's you know kind of regular schedule and programming which hopefully we're in tune with most of the time all right so next week we're going to hopefully start the first chapter i may recap a little bit um and speak a little introductory but next week we're going to start the first chapter and like i mentioned the main goal in the next few chapters is not necessarily to talk about relationship building with God, primarily to focus on understanding what God's unity and oneness and faith in God means. What does it mean when we say, I believe in God and Judaism? 
Does it mean that I believe God exists? Or does it mean that God, I believe God is involved with the world in a certain, and so on and so forth. So what it means, uh, that's what we're going to discuss. And hopefully that will be a strong glue. Understanding God's connection with us in the world will be a strong foundation for the later parts and for the earlier parts in Tanya, which it discusses about building a relationship with God. Um, 